But I think what's so significant is here you have Charter Spectrum coming out and saying this entire arrangement is broken. It doesn't work anymore, and we either need to restructure it entirely or we'll just abandon it. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. It's Monday, September 4th. Happy Media Monday and happy Labor Day, everyone. It's John Kelly standing in for Peter Hamby. Today, Dylan and I are going to be talking about the CNN of it all, what to expect from the Mark Thompson era, whether Zaz will be fully involved, whether CNN's going to spin one day, what they'll do with Linear, what they'll do with streaming, and what they'll do with CNN.com, which has long been the sleeping giant of the news internet business. We'll also dig into the latest headache on Bob Iger's punch list, the whole rigmarole around the ESPN Spectrum Charter detente. We'll be discussing all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Happy Labor Day and happy Media Monday, everyone. It's John Kelly in for Peter Hamby, who's off on a yacht somewhere around Sardinia. And today I'm joined by Dylan Byers, whose work we usually rip off for this weekly segment. And we're going to play all the hits today for the holiday. Mark Thompson, CNN, Zaz, The Times. But we're going to start with Bob Iger's latest headache with ESPN. Dylan, how are you, man? I'm doing great, man. How are you doing? I'm all right. We were planning, as usual, to talk about CNN and Thompson, and, and I know you've talked a bit about it last week with Peter, and I, I have some thoughts that I want to uh, dig into as well. But let's begin with the elephant in the room here, which is this sort of stunning ransom game uh, between Charter, Spectrum, and ESPN. would love to get your sense of how significant a deal this is going to be. Is ESPN all of a sudden going to get dropped from millions of cable boxes? This is actually a big deal, and I've, I have to say first that I so enjoy it to me it was a very puck media monday moment when i go finally put the kids down and i go to my television and i turn on my cable box because yes i still have a cable box because i'm a media reporter and i go to watch the u.s open and it's not there because of this maddening dispute, which is a dispute that I think we've all become sort of familiar with. These things happen and they tend to happen, you know, ahead of, you know, the fall sports season when people need this content the most. And then like right in that very moment, the Puck Slack channel, Peter Hamby, <laughs> our dear friend, comes in and says that he can't get access to the college football game that he's trying to watch. So is this any more substantive or significant than past carriage disputes? The answer is actually yes, because I think what's happening here is, yes, all the familiar posturing is happening. And yes, I expect that we will probably arrive at a deal, as we usually do, although I don't know. But I think what's so significant is here you have Charter Spectrum coming out and saying this system, this entire arrangement is broken. It doesn't work anymore. And we either need to restructure it entirely or we'll just abandon it. And almost as significant as that is, is is sort of the indifference that they seem to have toward just like moving past this business because this business isn't working anymore. And, you know, 
you and I, obviously, you, Peter, I, all our colleagues, we spend so much time talking about the decline of this business and the, you know, the sort of decline of linear, the post-linear, whatever. It really seems if you run from like Bob Iger's remarks about potentially getting rid of ABC and finding a strategic partner for ESPN that he made in Sun Valley, and you run that all the way to this sort of profound acknowledgement from the Charter Spectrum CEO, it really does feel like we're arriving at that moment to borrow like, you know, Fitzgerald on bankruptcy, where everything that has been happening really slowly is starting to happen all at once. And it, that, that's Hemingway, going, Dylan. I think you might have missed that uh, class at Bard, but um. you, you know. I t- <laughs> well, there you go. But I do think that this that things are speeding up really fast, and that the fall is going to be a very. I think a lot of things are going to happen over the course of the next six to twelve months in this space, a lot faster than I think any of us thought. I was talking to a former very senior Comcast executive recently, and, and they saw this news. And recall the time when you know, these disputes would happen, certainly around football season, often like, you know, before the end of the year, you know, before the Rose Bowl or a signature event like that. So, right, as you say, it's not out of nowhere that there'll be some carriage dispute. I remember Les Moonves era CBS used to do this a lot during football season. But what seems so different here is it's almost, you know, it's not just this admission that you point out, but it's an economic cry for help. That the cable providers, which we should say, of course, are like the most disliked businesses in the culture. Truly awful. You know, I can't wait till I hear about you, uh, your attempt to fully cut the cord and how hard it is going to be for you to actually get rid of your cable box and stop them from billing you monthly. <laughs> uh, you know, they, they constantly rank among the, um, the the most disliked companies in America up there with X and, and others. But you feel bad for them because the model is underwater at this point. They are increasingly upside down on what they have to pay out and and what they're bringing in now that the number of you know cable households is has shrunk from what, you know, like 100 million to 50 million and you know headed down to 40 and it's unsustainable and I was talking to someone the other day who had worked for Iger pretty closely and one of the lines that you hear now and obviously the guy's got an incredibly hard job and, and I'm sure he rues the day that he decided to come back but He's not Michael Jordan anymore. You know, he doesn't have all the moves. You know, he's, he's you know, Wizards era Michael Jordan. And it's hard <laughs> to square that. Not, not just with his past reputation, but with the fact that he can't figure this out. Who's, who's going to? You know, if Zaz can't figure this out, who's going to? And this very small little potato chip crumb of, a, of an incident seems to just magnify and exemplify all these other existential challenges and i don't use that word lightly but they really is what they are yeah no absolutely well let's turn to uh to cheery or fair dylan uh you obviously broke the news last week that mark thompson is back at cnn you and peter chatted about it you talked about it with our homie peter kafka and for those of you out there who thought there was nothing left to say boy were you wrong uh dylan you, you wrote a great piece on on friday before the holiday weekend about sort, sort of uh prognosticating and presaging the the Thompson era. I talked to, to Dean Bacay a little bit. One of the things that I took out of that that was so interesting was how much people, you know, former Thompson colleagues pointed to two things. One, that he was the leader, but one of many in turning the times around. He put together a great team. People always like to say great executives are conveners. I, I don't know if that's always true, but I think that in this case, he he built a new leadership team that was transformational at the time. So read into that what you will uh, for the, the quadrumvirate who, who currently runs CNN. 
But the other one, this is the bigger piece, was that he used to be a TV producer. He understands this stuff. He has a natural instinct for the art of television. Former Times colleagues thought that he thought in terms of television news. So he's going to jump into the ground there with, with two feet. And yet at the same time, he also must recognize that as a digital transformation CEO, the future of CNN is not going to be all about what's happening in the morning or at 9 p.m. It's going to be about figuring out how do you get that programming off of or outside of just the linear box? How do you imagine a world that's just much bigger and, and much more multi-channel than this simple broadcast? So what do you think he's going to do, Dylan? Well, look, I mean, the challenge with this business, which like we talk about all the time, is that you've got the dying linear business that is still highly lucrative, so you still need to like play to that. And at the same time, you need to transform the business and prepare it for you know, the digital era that we live in. And in retrospect now, and having spent a lot of time talking to Thompson's former colleagues at the Times, at the BBC, and others in this industry, it's sort of like, what other candidate is out there who has both the old legacy television experience and still and still has a passion for that, but also has a you know like demonstrable success helping turn the New York Times into you know what I think has become sort of a, a benchmark for a strong profitable digital news business. The fact that he has both of those things, I think both of those things will be extremely relevant to what he does here. I do think, though, that, you know, look, he'll come in, he will take his time, and he will do his listening tour. But I think, by and large, the priority here is going to be that same sort of ambitious turnaround effort that he led at the New York Times. And I think that the idea that under Thompson, the priorities are still going to be what they have been in the past, right? Like, winning ratings, you know, mm -hmm. the primetime slate, the programming, like that, I think, will become less and less the priority as Thompson seeks to answer these bigger questions about the direct-to-consumer strategy, a subscription business, certainly just like the, all the questions around digital and mobile and making and taking greater advantage of the reach that CNN has. And, and the actual programming product is, I think, it will be there and it will matter, but I think it will matter more as a piece of, of what CNN is rather than the entirety of the business. You know, we've talked a lot about the quad, the quadrumvirate, whatever you want to call them. Do you have a sense that their power is going to decline? And I guess, help me define the quad, right? It's, it's Dave Levy, Virginia Mosley, Amy Antelis, and Eric Sherling. And are they going to become like the TV people the way, you know, in, in like 2009 inside uh, the New York Times, there were the print people? Yeah. Look, I don't know if even Mark knows the answer to that question yet. I think that the TV piece here is still really important. And fundamentally, when you're looking at the transition you think about the streaming, for instance, you're still going to need to have that live video product where the TV piece will be important. But yes, I don't think when, when Mark Thompson is coming in and thinking about what does my executive team look like, who are the people I'm trusting to call the shots and think about how we uh, change and grow this business, the people who are sort of like obsessed right now with winning the news cycle or with keeping the talent happy 
or you know the programming a breaking news event those people are important but i think they're far less important than than they used to be and so yeah i think what you you're going to see is perhaps an additional layer between thompson and that unit which will still be sort of celebrated at the business but but not necessarily as core to the business as it once was i think the smartest thing and i think thompson knows this because he's seen all of the sort of boneheaded decisions that his predecessor made i think he knows that he needs to come in being very respectful of the institution but as one times executive who worked closely with him told me thompson is someone who is simultaneously respectful of those traditions but also very decisive in terms of thinking about how those traditions need to change or be abandoned if it's going to serve the long-term trajectory of the business. We're going to take a quick break and be back in one second with more CNN. Dylan, we talked a lot in our private text threads about a piece that uh, Julie Alexander wrote last week about CNN plus plus, whatever you want to call it, but CNN on Max. You've written about this as well and, and, and done some reporting. And you've pointed out to me that there are executives at CNN who are now, nostalgic's the wrong word, but who, who wonder if the cord was yanked too soon on CNN plus. What's their case? Their case is that if you look, I mean, this is one of the things about bringing Mark Thompson in, which I think is smart on David Zaslav's part, is that I think as we go forward, we're going to find that CNN and New York Times, as distinct as they are, are actually competing in a similar space and will be competing more and more in a similar space. And the theory of the case among some former CNN executives was, if you look at the way the New York Times has grown its digital subscription business, CNN is not going to have a future if we don't build some similar audience that we own that is paying us on a monthly basis. And if we don't turn this into a sort of, in different ways than the Times did, but turn this into to a sort of lifestyle brand for, you know, <laughs> for for news consumers in in the streaming digital era. And I think that they also saw that much as Disney was building ESPN Plus, they needed to build the infrastructure so that when the time came to move the core linear product over to streaming, those tools would be in place. I I think what ended up happening is they went to market pretty quickly with a lot of pretty subpar programming that really turned turned the narrative around CNN Plus into almost like a Quibi-like narrative and and put them at a great disadvantage from the start. Oh, and by the way, they were spending a shit ton of money to get there, which obviously didn't make David Zaslav very happy when he took over. The argument that CNN now yeah. is making with CNN Max is, look, you don't need to build a whole separate streaming entity to do what you're talking about. And, oh, by the way, we can bring that core product over a lot faster. We're going to have Anderson Cooper and Wolf Blitzer and Jake Tapper live on streaming at the same time that we had it have it live on Linear. But pause there for one second, because that really is... Um that wasn't just an apple that, that hit Sir Isaac Newton on the head. That sounds like in your conversation with J.B. Pret and people you talk to at WBD, they feel like they're illegally in safe harbor 
broadcasting, simultaneously broadcasting the linear programming onto streaming. But for years, we've been told that that was uh, a breach of the agreement that the networks, the media companies made with, with the cable providers. It seems like Zaz either thinks he's, he's lawyered his way around it, or he has so much leverage now over the charter spectrums of the world that he doesn't care what, what they think. But Either way, it seems like the bet they're making is that the lawsuits are going to be cheaper than the $400 million it costs to, to launch a, a subscale um, and not very good CM+. Yeah, I think the leverage that you talk about is important. And I also think that um, they rec- it, as, the, as the charter spectrum Disney thing shows, I think they think that the landscape is changing very quickly underneath everybody's feet. But yes, they feel like they're well within their rights to do this. And just to break the fourth wall with our listeners here, when that announcement was made, I can't tell you how many media executives I go to who have a very deep and thorough understanding of this business who are like, well, they actually can't do that. Or, you know, the MVPDs are going to get their revenge or who just didn't even believe it, who sort of said, well, they're saying that, but they're not actually going to do it. And so I went to J.B. Perrette, who runs streaming at WBT, and I was like, are you really going to do this? And how much of this are you going to do? And from the way he made it sound, they could conceivably start simulcasting the the core CNN product, right? Like the the Wolf and the Jake and the Anderson and the all the way up through primetime, and they could even tack on the morning show. And somehow they feel like they could still get away with it so long as they don't move the entire 24-7 stream over to the DTC product. To me, that is sort of mind-blowing. That is like the equivalent of like ESPN saying, we're going to do Monday night football, college football playoffs, NBA playoffs, but we're going to get away with it because we're still going to have like cricket and second-tier Italian soccer on our linear network. Like, I don't know, and it's it has sort of mystified a lot of people in this business, but they feel very confident in what they're doing. And like Godspeed to them for just sort of like ripping the Band-Aid off and moving ahead with this in a way that, you know, Jason Kyler and Jeff Zucker never felt like they could do. Well, it seems like um, the framework here that's most applicable is, is sort of similar to what Uber and Airbnb and other companies did when they, when they went into markets. And the taxi... You know, unions had these medallion-based rules, and, and the hospitality unions could get up in arms about protecting what what could be considered a, a, a lodging. And they just said, "Sorry, guys, we're not playing by those rules, and we're going to bring in, you know, government affairs people, the sort of David Pluff class, to overrun you." And, and I've wondered if if that is a possibility here. Now, obviously, it's a lot harder to. I think it's harder to take on large, well-capitalized businesses than it is to take on municipal governments, which you know have a lot of red tape, but, but you can probably outspend them or outlawyer them in, in, in cases. But if this proves to be successful, it's going to upend everything, right? We, 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 you know, we've talked about what Jimmy Bataro is trying to do at ESPN, and you're right. It is like you know, ESPN Plus is right now like an overpriced sort of Manning cast <laughs> <laughs> you know, network, right? Like, it, yeah. like how many of the, forget 30 for 30, it, it, it's like, you know, 100 for 150. It's like everything else, you know, that, that's possibly out there in the, the ESPN cinematic universe. I, I suffered through the Tom Brady show and I think the Derek Jeter show. I mean, it's a lot, a lot of hagiography. Anyway, <laughs> like there's, if they could just bombard their way through this and simulcast LSU fsu on espn plus then 
boy, does the world look a whole lot different. And then the the, the charter spectrums are are absolutely out of power and, and out of tools. And yeah, I don't think you're going to put the toothpaste back in the tube on this one. No, I don't think you can. And, and again, I think this goes back to what I was saying before the break. I just, I actually think this landscape is going to start, I think right now we're like, oh, things are changing and we're part of this. But I think things are going to move, start moving really, really fast now as we head into the fall. And look, I think one thing that allows Warner to be a little more, I don't know, as one executive there put it to me, they're sort of testing the limits. I think one thing that allows that is that they see the vast majority of the audience for CNN on linear are people who are in their 60s and 70s and 80s. So their feeling is that the streaming audience they're trying to address is younger and that and that they're not going to be cannibalizing their their linear business quite as quickly as ESPN would be in the event that it tried to force through all of its sports programming. All right, Dylan, we'll get you out of here on this one. You and Bill reported a couple of weeks ago, or a number of weeks ago at this point, that Zaz had entertained uh, some conversations about a putative sale of CNN. And uh, of course, he has to, right? That's his job to imagine the, the buying and selling of any asset under his portfolio. And, and then, you know, also what's out there in the market. Do you think that Thompson coming in totally takes CNN off the table? Or do you think this is a job that lasts three or four years until he creates a pristine P&L and uh, at that point they float this thing out to another acquirer. Believe me, I I thought and had been given reason to think that Warner Brothers was thinking seriously about selling CNN, but the combination of the Mark Thompson news coupled with the this sort of aggressive move to streaming for CNN as a part of Max makes it much harder to understand how they would be setting it up for a sale. And I think that is sort of the conventional wisdom too among a lot of the sort of media executive community that I talk to. And look, I think all things are on the table down the line two, three, four years from now. But I think in the immediate, this suggests a much longer term investment in CNN by Warner, certainly through the 2024 election and beyond. Your lips to God's ears, Dylan. Uh, If anyone's going to know, it's going to be you. Thanks for joining me, man. Hope you have a great Labor Day barbecue planned, and I'll see you in the Slack. Thanks, man. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.